The Kohanim are restricted in who they can marry, and only close relatives they are allowed to bury. The Kohanim teach what is holy and pure, only the family of Tzadok will endure. So this week's Parsha is Parshat Emor, and the Haftorah is in Yechezkel. So the Torah reading is largely about the rules and restrictions that the Kohanim, that the priestly class of Jews, have to follow. And similarly, in our Haftorah of Yechezkel, we see many of the same restrictions. However, it is very notable that a few of the restrictions that Yechezkel talks about are actually in direct contradiction of what the Torah says. And um, there's a couple reasons for this. As you'll see, one reason is potentially Yechezkel is talking. So Yechezkel, even though he lived in between the first and the second temple, um, Yechezkel is actually talking about the third temple, the Bayit Shlishi, the, the third and final temple that um, has not yet to exist, but uh, should soon in our days. And so this third temple, Yechezkel talks about, um, it's, it's interesting, as I said, he, he says things that directly contradict what the Torah says. And perhaps one approach is where one approach is he's just understanding, um, he, he's not directly contradicting it. It's just uh, not a normal way to read the Torah. Another way to, to understand it is he is directly contradicting the Torah. However, he's talking about the, um, in the third, in the Bayit the, Shlishi, the, in the third temple, um, will actually, will sort of, the, the Kohanim will elevate from their status uh, as they were in the first two temples, and they'll actually elevate to be more, in, to be more like the Kohen Gadol, more like the high priest, not just a normal Kohen, not just a normal priest, but more like the high priest. Um, and as you'll see through some of our explanation, um, that that uh, that that Yechezkel sort of reflects what some of the high priests do, above and beyond what a normal priest does. So getting into the actual meat of the Torah, it says the Kohanim, the Leviim, descendants of Tzadok, uh, who safeguard my sanctuary when Bnei Yisrael strayed from me. So a few interesting things happening here. First of all, the Kohanim are called Leviim. Um, and yes, it is technically true that Kohanim do come from the tribe of Levi. So yes, the Kohanim are Leviim. However, the Kohanim normally are not m- mentioned as Leviim. They're kind of sep- a separate entity. Uh, it's like every square is a rectangle, but not every rectangle um, is a square. Similarly, every Kohen is a Levi, but not every Levi is a Kohen. Um, but however, here in this case, and actually in 24 other times in Tanakh, um, Kohanim are referred to as Leviim. And part of the reason for that is obvious when we keep reading on in the Haftorah that it talks about how um, the family of Tzadok and the Leviim generally safeguarded my sanctuary when Bnei Yisrael strayed from me. So perhaps the commentaries say this is talking about the Cheta Egil, the golden calf, the sin of the golden calf, um, referring specifically to the instance that when Moses comes down from the mountain and sees that the entire nation is um, worshiping the golden calf, and Moses said, who's with me? And all of the Leviim step forward, including the Kohanim, because as I mentioned, the Kohanim are part of the Leviim. All of the Leviim stepped forward and were willing to, um, to defend the Jewish people and to defend the name of God 
um, in the face of the tremendous tragedy, the tremendous sin of the golden calf. Um, so perhaps the Kohanim are referred to as Leviim in sort of a loving way in saying that Leviim were there to protect the Jewish people when a majority of them had, or, or, or when, when some of them had, uh, had, had started worshiping the golden calf, the Leviim were there to protect the Jewish people uh, and to protect God's name. And similarly, the Kohanim, that's why the Kohanim are referred to as Leviim, to exemplify sort of their, their good qualities. Another interesting thing is the Leviim, uh, according to the commentaries, actually they all um, circumcised their sons in the desert, in Bamidbar, even though the uh, rest of the nation of Israel, the other tribes did not do that, uh, the, Kohan, the, the Leviim did. And again, the Leviim are sort of this exemplary group of people. That's why the Kohanim, even though, yes, it's technically true the Kohanim are Leviim, they're normally not referred to that way, but here they are referred to that way uh, as a sense of, of honor uh, for the Kohanim. And it also says that the, the, it, it specifies the descendants of Sadok will safeguard my sanctuary. And who was Sadok? So Sadok was a certain family of Kohanim that went above and beyond in their, um, in their devotion to uh, the Jewish people and to Judaism. And the most obvious example of that is many um, of the Kohanim were, they, while they always sort of stayed true to their priestly side, um, and they all, they all sort of did sacrifices throughout uh, the ages, there is documented history that we read about in the past Torah that some Kohanim would um, use private altars um, and those private altars called uh, Bamot, those private altars were prohibited in the Torah. The Torah only allows altars um, at, or only allows one altar um, for sacrifices, and that is at the Beit HaMikdash, um, at, at, the, at the site of the Holy Temple, and nowhere else. Yet there were Kohanim that were going against the green, that were going against the Torah and using private altars. However, the family of Tzadok, those people were staying true to their Judaism and never swayed, never fell for the trap of using private altars. And therefore, they're specified as the number one family that will be instrumental in, um, the, uh, in, the, in the priestly service when the third Beit HaMikdash comes. Um, so uh, moving on, so then it says that they will come to my sanctuary and serve me basically being that the family of Tzadok, the, the, the Kohanim in general, the family of Tzadok in particular, will serve God um, when the third Beit HaMikdash comes. Okay, so next the Haftorah talks about how the, the clothing that the Kohanim will wear in the third Beit HaMikdash, and it says the Kohanim will wear linen without any wool. And what's interesting is this directly contradicts the Torah. The Torah says a Kohen actually wears a belt that's made out of shotness, a belt that's made out of both linen and wool. However, um, Yechezkel talks about how Yechezkel, who by, by the way, he himself, Yechezkel, was a Kohen himself. Um, so Yechezkel talks about the Kohanim in the times of the third Beit HaMikdash will wear linen clothing and not wool, even though uh, in the Torah it says the Kohanim actually do wear, uh, wear wool clothing, namely in their belt. Um, so the commentaries resolve this by saying that there is one time a year that the 
um, that that a certain kohen, namely the kohen gadol, wears a um, wears exclusively linen and no wool, and that is on Yom Kippur. So on Yom Kippur, the kohen only wears white linen clothing and does not wear any wool. And the idea being here, according to the commentaries, that Yechezkel is saying that um, basically in the times of the third Beit HaMikdash, it's like every single day will be like Yom Kippur. Therefore, every single day, the Jewish people or, or the, the Kohanim will only be able to wear linen um, and will not wear the general clothings that the Kohen, that the, the, the general big day Kohanim, um, that, that the, the general clothing that the Kohen wore uh, in the times of the first two temples, because in the times of the third temple, it'll be like Yom Kippur every day. Therefore, only linen will be able to, to be worn. So basically, the Kohanim will be like at an elevated class, not just like every other day. Um, you know, when the third day of English is around, it's like every single day is as holy as Yom Kippur. Then it says, don't wrap, um, don't, they, they should not wrap themselves uh, where they will sweat. And the commentaries say this is particular. Uh, particularly talking about they won't wrap themselves in the armpits or the thighs, areas that you are likely to sweat in. And basically, if you're schwitzing all over the place, that's sort of not as respectful um, as it should be uh, to, to the temple service. Now, the Aftorah says they will remove their clothes, the, the, the Kohanim will remove their clothes when they're outside of the Beit HaMikdash. Um, and they should not mingle with others with their linen clothing on. And Rav Hirsch gives a beautiful uh, explanation as to why this is, why it is that, according to Yechezkel, the um, Kohanim should not interact and mingle with people while their big day kahuna, while their, um, while their priestly clothing is being worn. Rav Hirsch says the reason for that is because Judaism is led by example. It's led by the quality and the content of your character, and it's not about external things like clothing. So it could be that had the uh, the Kohanim wore their, their priestly clothing out in the community, it would really be the clothing that would influence everybody else and not who they are as people. Rav Hirsch says that that's not a valid, um, that, that's, not, that's not the way Judaism works. Judaism works by uh, influencing who you are in your panemius, who you are deep down inside, not by who you are on your outside. So the Kohanim, they, they were not able, according to Yechezkel, to influence the outside people with their clothing. They had to put their clothing away when they interacted and mingled with others because, Rav Hirsch explains, because Jewish people um, are influenced by who you are as a person, who you are on your inside, in your panemius, not who you are on your outside. Uh, and that's why the Kohanim had to remove their clothing. So um, then it talks about how the Kohanim, they shouldn't shave or grow their hair wildly. Rather, they should keep their hair trim. The commentaries say that, um, what does this mean that they should keep their hair trim? It says that basically the tip, the, the tip of your hair should be adjacent to the root of um, the, the hair next to it. Basically, a, hair, a buzz cut, a really, really short cut, not completely shaved and not completely bald, but just a very short cut. Uh, so that the tip of one hair is adjacent to the root of the other. And then it talks about you shouldn't drink wine uh, in the inner courtyard. Then the Aftorah speaks about how um, the different restrictions on marriage for a, co- for a Kohen. So the Aftorah says you shouldn't take um, an almana or a garusha. You shouldn't take a widow, a Kohen, shouldn't take a widow or a divorcee 
um, as a wife. Rather, the person should only take a virgin. However, this directly contradicts the Torah. The Torah says a Kohen is actually allowed to take a widow. Um, a, a, Kohen, a, a Kohen is allowed to take a widow, is allowed to take an almana. However, Yechezkel says you're not allowed to take an almana. Um, so again, this might be sort of the higher um, estate, the higher uh, elevation that they brought themselves to. It's much more similar to the Kohen Gadol. The Kohen Gadol had to only marry a virgin, was not able to marry a widow or a divorcee. Um, and I guess similarly in the times of the Beta, third Beta Migdash, uh, the Jewish people will only, uh, or, or sorry, the, the Kohanim will sort of uh, restrict themselves to only being like a Kohen Gadol, not like a normal Kohen that is allowed to marry a widow. Um, and then it's, however, uh, Yechezkel qualifies this by saying, an almana makohen they can take for as a wife. So literally this translates as a widow from a kohen. So what it sounds like, and what some commentaries say, is it sounds like um, a kohen is allowed to take uh, as a wife, is allowed to marry a widow that was previously married to a kohen, from a kohen. So basically... Um, perhaps one heter, one uh, dispensation that the uh, the Kohanim were allowed to, to take, according to Yechezkel, is they're not normally allowed to marry an almana, but they were uh, a widow, but they are able to marry a widow if she was previously married to a Kohen. However, some commentaries refute this and say, no, me Kohen really means not from a Kohen, being that from married to a previous Kohen, but rather Mokohin means some Kohanim. So this goes more in line with what the Torah says, that yeah, it's true, the Kohen Gadol can only marry um, a virgin and not a, not a widow. Um, most other Kohanim can, can in fact, marry a widow. Um, and uh, one other slightly different opinion is that I heard is that uh, a Kohen, according to Hezkel, is allowed to marry either a... Um, is allowed to to normally is is not allowed to marry a widow. However, they are allowed to marry a widow if they themselves are a kohen. Um, if, sorry, if if they themselves were married to a kohen. Um, okay, so moving on. So then, um, it says another function of the Jew of of the kohanim. So the kohanim they do have two main functions. One function is uh, the sacrifices in the temple. And the second function that the Saftor talks about and the Torah talks about is that the Kohanim should instruct other Jewish people, the rest of the Jewish people, about the difference between Kaddish and Chol, between holiness and um, and uh, non-holiness, and between Tameh and Tahor, between uh, purity and impurity. And so the Jewish, the, the, the basically... Not only are the Kohanim uh, helping in the temple service, but they're also teachers. They're they're teaching halacha. They're teaching the the Jewish laws about what is holy and what isn't holy, and what is pure and what's impure. So then it says the Kohanim can stand in judgment as a judge, and the commentaries say here that the reason that Kohanim can stand in judgment, being a meaning that the Kohen can be a judge is that the Kohen understands that he is not above the law. A Kohen is, follows sort of the rule of law. It's not above and beyond the general law that other people have to follow. And therefore, because they're subservient to the law, they're able to be a judge. And fascinating, the commentaries say that 
the uh, the kings of the corrupt ten tribes of the lost ten lost tribes that they felt like they were above the law and that's why they were prohibited disqualified from being a judge but because the kohanim are subject to the law a kohen can be sued just like everybody else um, then therefore the kohen can also be a judge um, and actually some commentaries say they actually should be on every basin they should be on every court um, then it says that the jewish that the kohanim should safeguard the mitzvot and sanctify the shabbat and the um, that the kohen cannot become tame mate cannot become um, impure through a dead human body uh, except for, Yechezkel says, and the Torah says, except for the body of your dad, your mom, your son, your daughter, your brother, your uh, your unmarried sister, and interesting, it does not mention your wife, however, that's also included. Um, and then, uh, and, and it, one interesting note here is, even though in cases of um, who you can marry and in what you should wear, that's more specific to a Kohen Gadol, uh, Yechezkel's talking about. However, here, um, it's not like a Kohen Gadol because a Kohen Gadol is not able to contaminate themselves around the body of anyone, even their close relatives. However, Yechezkel says that they actually, these Kohanim in the third beta Migdash are able to contaminate themselves um, with the body of their closest relatives. And then it says that they will bring a Korban Khatat um, once, it sounds like, they bring the Kohanim bring a korban chatat once they are purified from being near a dead body. However, um, Rashi comments, no, this isn't about their purification after being tummy meat. This is actually about their inaugural uh, when, when the basically when um, the Kohanim started their job as being a Kohen, they give a uh, they, they give an offering, and this is what that is. This is what Yechezkel is referring to. Uh, that initial offering, that inaugural offering that the Kohanim would bring. Then it talks about the Kohanim do not have a nachala, do not have an inheritance. And it says, I am their inheritance, meaning God is their inheritance. And again, the Jewish people do not have um, any possessions, rather I am their possessions. And what this practically means is, is that the uh, the Kohanim basically are given taxes, live off of the people. The Kohanim eat the Bikorim, the Mincha, the Chala, the Truma, different uh, offerings, different taxes that were levied uh, on the rest of the Jewish people in order to support the Kohanim that did not have an inheritance and did not have any possessions. But what it means on a deeper level is that the Kohanim, what was most important to them is their inheritance with God and their possession, uh, their sort of their chalik, their... Um, their, their 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 possession that they had with with God. So their connection with God was basically is so strong that it's almost like they're above and beyond having a physical inheritance. Um, lastly, it, the Haftorah talks about the Kohanim should not eat an Avela or a Trefa, which is really shocking because no Jew is allowed to eat an Avela, which means um, an un uh, an unshechted, uh, basically an animal that was not correctly slaughtered, or they're not able to eat a trefa, which means uh, an animal that was fatally wounded. But what's astounding about this is that no Jew is allowed to eat an avela or a trefa. So why is it saying only the Kohanim are not able to eat an avela or a trefa? It sounds like had it not been for this verse, Kohanim would be able to eat an avela or a trefa. And what the commentaries say is actually a Kohen is allowed to eat a certain sin offering that's killed with the process of, uh, it's called malika, which means basically the Kohen would take a, a long thumbnail and um, and 
use it to to slice the throat of a bird and that's how they would eat the bird however that is not a proper form of shefting that's not a proper form of ritual slaughter and it in most cases if if for example if today if a person did this malika um uh way of killing a bird, it would actually be considered an avela. It would be considered an improperly shechted animal. However, the Kohanim were able to eat this. Therefore, the Yechezkel has to specify, don't think that you're able to, to eat any kind of meat that isn't kosher. Um, that, case of, uh, that case of Malika with the thumbnail is only specific to that specific instance, and it doesn't apply to anywhere else. Um, so to recap what I talked about, so the the Torah reading of Emor talks quite a bit about Kohanim, and similarly in Yechezkel, the Torah talks about Kohanim. So first of all, the Kohanim are compared to Leviim, um, in that Leviim, as I mentioned, the Leviim um, were there to protect God's name uh, with the sin of the golden calf. They stood up, to they, they, they responded to Moshe's call. Um, to get rid of all of those that, that were uh, worshiping the golden calf. And similarly, the Levium also stood out in that they circumcised their sons during um, their, their uh, journey in Bamidbar, in their, their journey in the wilderness. And it's for that reason that uh, Yechezkel lovingly calls the Kohanim Levium. And as I mentioned, all Kohanim are technically Levium, um, it's just, you know, they are from the family of, of, of Levi. However, it's just normally Kohanim are talked about independently. Um, and then it talks about how the descendant, uh, that, that, uh, that the Kohanim are, dis, are descendants of Tzadok. And I mentioned that Tzadok is a special family, a special righteous Kohen family, because this particular family of Tzadok did not have private altars um, which were prohibited. However, other Kohanim, other families did have private altars. That's why the family of Tzadok will particularly merit um, to come into the sanctuary of the third bit of Mikdash. So then the Aftorah talks about how um, the Kohanim will only wear linen, not wool. However, I said this is a direct contradiction with the Torah that says that the Kohanim were actually uh, able to wear belts that were made of shotness, belt that, belts that were made of a mixture of linen and wool. Um, and I mentioned that perhaps um, this is talking specifically about basically the Kohanim, all Kohanim will turn into, will transform into basically like the Kohen Gadol, that the Kohen Gadol on Yom Kippur only wore linen, did not wear any wool. And similarly, in the times of the third Veda Migdash, every day will be like Yom Kippur. Every day will be as holy as Yom Kippur. Therefore, um, the Kohanim will respond by wearing only linen clothing like it's Yom Kippur. Then it says that they shouldn't wrap themselves where they will sweat, namely around their armpits and their thighs, and that they should remove their clothing, their 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 big day kahuna, their um, priestly clothing, if they're outside of the Beit Migdash, and they shouldn't mingle with other people with their clothing, with their um, with their priestly clothing on. And Rav Hirsch comments here a beautiful message that the Jewish people should be influenced not by clothing, not by external things. Rather, they should be influenced by what's on, what's uh, the, the panemius, the inside, the the inner sanctity of the Kohanim. Um, that the, the their personality should be influential, not merely just what they're wearing. Then the Haftorah says they shouldn't shave or they shouldn't grow a wild beard. They should keep their hair trim. And basically, this is like a buzz cut. It's the tip of the hair should be adjacent to the root of the hair. And then it says the uh, the Kohanim shouldn't drink, shouldn't be drunk uh, when performing per, per, uh, when performing the service. 
and then uh, the Torah mention the the, the Haftorah talks about different um, restrictions that the Kohanim are uh, have to follow when marrying someone. Uh, the Kohanim are not allowed to marry according to Cheskel an almana or a gerusha. Namely, they're not allowed to marry a widow or a divorcee. As a wife, they have to marry a virgin, uh, Yechezkel says. However, this directly, again, contradicts the Torah. The Torah says, actually, a Kohen is allowed to marry a widow. Um, uh, but so, so some commentaries say that really what uh, Yechezkel meant is that he says, Yechezkel later says, that uh, Kohen is allowed to marry an almana mekohen. Uh, which is directly translated as a widow from a Kohen. However, some commentaries say, no, this actually means um, some Kohanim are able to marry a, an Almana. Namely, if you're not a Kohen Gadol, um, the, so the, the, if you're a Kohen Gadol, you have to actually, in the Torah, it says you have to marry, uh, you're not allowed to marry a widow or a divorcee. Um, however, a normal Kohen is allowed to marry a widow, um, and some Kohanim, Mikohen, some Kohanim, possibly is referring to everybody else. If you're not a Kohen Gadol, you're able to marry a widow. Um, however, a different interpretation of Almana Mikohen is a more literal translation. A Kohen, uh, sorry, a, a widow from a Kohen, which perhaps could be interpreted as um, uh, as basically if someone was, if a woman was married to a Kohen and then uh, she was widowed, that Kohen died and she was widowed, then she would be able to remarry another Kohen. However, um, it seems like from the verse, if uh, it was just a normal widow, a widow that was not married to a Kohen, then uh, a future Kohen could not marry that woman. So then it talks about how the obligation, um, the, the duty that not only that Kohanim have to perform the service of the Beit HaMikdash, but they also have to be a teachers. So they have to instruct other Jewish people about the difference between Kodesh and Chol, uh, the difference between holiness and, and um and general things, and the difference between Tameh and Tahor, the difference between purity and impurity. And then the Kohanim will stand in judgment, meaning that they can be a judge. And I mentioned that the Kohanim are not above the law. They can be taken to court themselves. Therefore, they're able to be judges. And notably, Kohanim actually should be on a, uh, on a court in a, in a basin. And then it, it mentions though, the commentaries that uh, the king of the ten of the ten lost tribes, they thought that they were above the law. Therefore, they they were actually disqualified from being a judge. But the Kohanim, even the Kohen Gadol, because they can be taken to court themselves, then therefore they also can adjudicate. Then it says that they should say the the Kohanim should safeguard mitzvot and sanctify the Shabbat. Then it talks about how the Kohen cannot be near a dead body, cannot be contaminated by a dead body, except for closest relatives, namely dad, mom, son, daughter, brother, unmarried sister, and the Aftorah doesn't mention it, but also wife. Um, and then, uh, you know, this is for me myself, you know, I'm a Kohen, and this is perhaps uh, particularly difficult because um, I just lost recently my uh, my, uh, my grandfather, Zichron of Racha, and unfortunately, uh, I was not able to attend his funeral uh, because grandfather is not one of those people that you're able to, uh, as a Kohen, you're not able to become um, contaminated by near, being near their, their dead body. Uh, and then the Haftorah talks about how you can bring a, they, they will bring a Korban Chatat, and Rashi comments, this is not bringing a Korban Chatat for being contaminated, rather this is talking about um, bringing a Korban Chatat, bringing a, a, a certain uh, sacrifice for their inauguration, 
um, as a Kohen. And then it talks about Kohen, Kohanim, they don't have a Nachala, um, they don't have an inheritance, for I am their inheritance, God is their inheritance, and they don't have possessions because I am their possessions, namely God is their possessions. And what this practically means is that um, the rest of the Jewish people will have to pay taxes in order to support the Kohanim. Uh, so through Bikorim, Mincha, Chala, Truma, different types of taxes, the Jewish people, uh, the, the Kohanim will be able to eat. Even though they don't have land, they'll still have food. And But on a deeper level, the Kohanim, it's like they don't even need a physical inheritance or a physical possessions because they have such a deep connection to God that they almost like are beyond... Um, needing sort of these like basic things like having possessions. Then the Kohanim um, should not eat an Avela or a Trefa. They should not eat sort of a, a, literally a, a carrion, a, an unshechted uh, animal, or a Trefa, a fatally wounded animal. Um, however, this seems shocking because no Jew is allowed to eat either an Avela or a Trefa. However, the commentaries say actually a Kohen is in one particular instance able to eat an Avela, particularly where a bird killed for a sin offering is killed using this process called uh, Malika, which is with a thumbnail. And normally, and under normal circumstances, that would be uh, not a valid way of shechting, not a valid way for ritual slaughter. Um, however, uh, because they are allowed to eat uh, a, a bird in this particular instance of a sin offering um, through kind of an unusual method, through not the normal method of shechting, uh, the Haftorah has to tell us just this is restricted. Your your ability to eat um, an Avela in the case of, is only specific to the case of, um, of a sin offering where you use your thumbnail. But in all other cases, if it's not a sin offering with your thumbnail, then uh, Kohanim are not able to eat Nevela or Trefa, just like the rest of the Jewish people. And with that, I'll read my poem. The Kohanim are restricted in who they can marry, and only close relatives they are allowed to bury. The Kohanim teach what is holy and pure. Only the family of Tzadok will endure. And with that, uh, L'chaim L'chaim, and this has been the whole Torah.